0: Amen. Thank you for the damn. We are continuing our study, of course, on the Godhead, and our focus for the last long time has been on Jesus Christ. And uh the fact that we're studying the Godhead, why would we study Christ? He's the Godhead, right? He's part of the Godhead without a doubt. And he is our example. Our text again tonight is Matthew eleven twenty nine. Anybody want to read that? Thank you, Brother Dan. Our focus tonight, and last week as well, and next week as well, is actually the middle of the verse where Jesus says, learn of me. Let me say it again. Learn of me. What do you think he means by that? Say it again. Learn my ways. Now... We know there's a a lot of people in our world will tell you don't do as I do, do as I say. What's, What's the problem with that? Not good advice. But is it fair to say that Jesus could say do what I say and do what I do? And like you said, Phyllis, He wants us to learn of him. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. We began at last week. And that's the the example he set forth for us. Now, I mentioned this last week. I want to touch on it real quick again tonight. There are two mistakes when it comes to imitating Christ. The first one are those who say, all you need to do is act like Christ emulate him, imitate him, and that is how you get saved. That is the lie of the devil, okay? Now, are we saved by works or by grace? By grace. But once we're saved, we're to do what? We're to work, okay? So grace comes first, and then works. Now, the problem with Telling people, just act like Christ, imitate him is the way of salvation. That does away with a born-again experience. Now, we're, going to take, we're not going to take time to turn there because you know it well enough. Jesus met a man named Nicodemus in John 3. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus right off the bat? You must be born again. Now, Nicodemus was imitating God. He was emulating things of God. But he missed the born-again experience. And the bottom line is, salvation means we are born from above. It is a work of God. For many, many years in my walk with Christ, it bothered me that uh, through the years we'd see people uh, either come to an altar or pray a prayer of, of what we thought was salvation, and you never hear of them again. What happened? The, hap- the happening was nothing happened. They said some words. But when we're born from above, a change takes place. So that has to come first, and then you imitate Christ, okay? Because you are born again; it follows salvation. So imitating Christ will not is not the way of salvation. Phillips, you had a question? That's the key right there. Yeah. Now I know we live in a world today. I even heard somebody on the radio say to the day, "Fake it until you make it." Well, let me tell you something. You'll never make it faking it it's with Christ, okay? It simply cannot happen. It has to come from the inside out. So it's a spiritual rebirth, a renewing of our heart and our mind. <clears throat> and then the imitation of Christ or the imitating of Christ does follow that because we're saved. And again, the, the disciples, the apostles, they never preached imitating, imitating Christ as a way to be saved. Uh, you know, you must be born again. But the second error in that is when Christians are not taught the importance of imitating Christ once they are saved. Now remember, and Phyllis, you made a good point a while ago in Matthew 11, 29. Jesus, I want you to learn from my example. Learn, of, I want you to imitate my life. But that only happens once we are saved. Uh, my goodness, the world we live in today. Uh, wow. For Christianity, those who name the name of Christ across America, a lot of them are so shallow in their walk with God. They don't know what it is to have the assurance of salvation. All they care about is being entertained or whatever you want to talk about and, you know, live any way you want to. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So, first of all, uh, why would Jesus, why should he be our example? Okay, all right. Exactly. Why not Billy Graham? Absolutely. And we can name anybody. And I'm not saying Billy Graham was not a great man. I mean, in the eyes of God, a faithful. Son. Surely it was. Oh, oh. It, absolutely, and that's what makes a difference. That is exactly what makes the difference. So if we want somebody to be the perfect pattern of all graces, the perfect pattern of holiness, the perfect pattern of virtue, and the perfect pattern of obedience, who meets that description? Only Jesus. Nobody else does. Now that doesn't mean there aren't saints of God who live close to God. We know there is, and the Bible tells us uh, how we ought, who we ought to avoid, and to what degree we ought to follow. And uh, <clears throat> we looked at this verse last week. Look at First Corinthians eleven, verse one again. What's Paul? And, and by the way, Paul is writing it. What's he telling them? Follow me as long as I do what. As long as I follow Christ. I, uh, I know I mention this often. I'm not going to quit to my dad gets saved, but continue to pray for him. I spent about an hour with him last night. I mean, he's at my house, but talking to him about, about his soul. And, of course, he always wants to circle the wagons. You know, talk about this, talk about that. You know, why don't you agree with this? I said, well, ne- I said number one, Dad, he made a statement. I said, you've never, you've never heard me say something negative about another denomination or a church. Now, I might say it to other people, but I don't talk about it from the unsaved. He, he don't need that. I said, but the fact of the matter is, there are different churches that are we don't agree with. But here's the thing. As long as they believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can follow them that far. But when they start deviating from the Bible and twisting scriptures, that's where I have to stop following them. And that's true. And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, as long as I am imitating Christ, imitate me. And the implication is, if I don't imitate Christ, don't follow me anymore. And that's good advice. And, and, and again, whether we talk about Billy Graham or some other uh, preacher through the years, uh, whatever whoever it might be, or what, some godly woman, whoever it might be, <coughs> no matter how well they carry on their ministries uh, no matter how well or how long uh, they walk with Christ, uh, which of those have no blemishes? None of them do. Not one of them do. But if we use Christ, the perfect example, we know that in Christ there is no imperfection whatsoever. In fact, the Bible says not only did he have no sin, he did no sin. So there's no blemish in Christ at all. So not only is he the perfect one, he's also the only good pattern for you and I to follow. And here's what I like about this. The example of Christ is good for who? Anyone. doesn't matter. It's good for all believers. Now, we took a lot of scriptures last week uh, that show that Jesus is our example. Let's just do one again tonight. Uh, John 13, look at verse 15. (coughs) Thank you, Dan. He says, I've given you an example. What does he mean by that? Say it again? Yeah. He's our example. The way I lived. The way I lived. And he says, I want you to do just the same as I have done to you. I am your example. Now, we know that Jesus taught with words while he was here on earth. But he also taught with his life. And without a doubt, an example is better than precept. Because a precept is just more or less a concept. But an example, Jesus says, if you want a concrete, solid example, look to who? Look to him. He lived his life the way we ought to live our life. So Christ presents himself as the best pattern of all for obedience. He presents himself as the example of holiness. And again, we said this last week, he promises those who follow him will be changed into his image. Now, hold on, folks. Listen very carefully here. If we imitate Christ, you're going to see yourself becoming more and more like him and less and less like the world. Look again uh, from last week, Second Corinthians 3, verse 18. Now, thank you, Phyllis. Now notice what Paul is saying here. We are beholding, by imitating Christ, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, and this is not a one and done kind of thing, it's an everyday process, it's a lifelong process once we are born again. As we do that, we are beginning, we are being changed from one glory to another. And I, I, I would say to this level, glory, to a higher level, to a higher level, to a higher level as we continue beholding Christ. And I want to say, folks, without a doubt, we cannot imitate Christ and not become like him. That's exactly the purpose of that. And that's the reward God promises. If we imitate Christ, we will become more and more like him. I don't have the verse... In our notes tonight, but it just came to my mind, in John, in one of the epistles, he said, there's some things I don't know, but one thing I know, when I see him, I will be just like him. That's because we were changed from glory to glory to glory. And that's what takes place whenever we emulate Christ. And my friend, that can only happen if you're born again. And those who are trying to fake it, they're not going to make it. Uh, you don't you don't gain salvation by emulating Christ. It won't work. It has to be that born-again experience because even Paul said we're changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And once we're saved, if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. You say, well, wait a minute, priest. I'm not sure I have the Spirit. Well, then you're not saved, okay? If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. The question is, does He have you? That's the question. But nonetheless, we're changed from glory to glory to glory. So last week we began to sort of get down to some details of exactly what's involved for you and I as children of God when we imitate Christ. And we look at three of them already. Number one, first of all, it presupposes that we are born again. If you're not born again, forget it. You can't imitate Christ, all right? Number two, imitating Christ tells us that we cannot act according to our own will. We have a new master. Who's that? It's Jesus, okay? So, we can't do that. Number three, as a Christian, we don't have the right, nor are any of us qualified to rule others. Now, if you weren't here last week, you'd get some qualification of that. But here's what we need to understand. Almost all, well, all of your cults started by someone who thought they had a the right to rule over people. Nobody has that right. Nobody other than Christ is qualified to rule over other people. That being said, and we mentioned this last week, the Bible teaches we're to honor those who labor among us. We're to honor those who teach the Word of God. We're to respect them. We're to uh, to be obedient to them to a certain degree, but they don't have the right to rule our lives. No one has that right. No one has that Qualification. So, number four today, <coughs> what's involved in imitating Christ? The whole implication of that is that true Christianity is very strict and very exacting. Now, my friend, for those who teach that we can be saved and live any way you want to, that is not biblical. Now remember, if we are to imitate Christ, my question would be, was Jesus lax in the way he lived? No. Was he loose morally? No. None of that was true in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, we are imitating Christ. The implication is that we don't tolerate immorality and we avoid any indulgence of fleshly lust. Now, folks, we need to emphasize this in the culture we live in. Because, and all I can speak about is America. There is so much laxity among believers today I'm going to use that word believers in quotes who go to church Uh, Jeremy was telling me about someone he used to work with and I've met her before did some work on her house and uh, she told Jeremy I love to go to the crossroads and I go every couple of months because when I leave I feel so good about myself and this woman was unsaved now you know what's going to happen if she continues that position she's going to feel good all the way to what all the way to hell Because there's so much laxity going on in church people today. And here's what's interesting. I I believe they're being deceived by others and by themselves. And what they're doing, they're ignoring the path that Jesus traveled. The life that he lived. And it's interesting, we've talked about this already, been part of our overall text verse here in Matthew 11. Jesus says, if you're gonna get to heaven, you've gotta deny, if you're gonna follow me, you've gotta deny yourself. How many love doing that? We don't naturally, okay, but we've got to deny ourselves. So they've convinced themselves, we're gonna be okay. And it doesn't matter. We don't need need to deny ourselves. We don't need to do what Jesus did. Um, And I know I'm going to heaven. Folks, that is self-delusion. Don't be fooled that way. So, if we're going to imitate Christ, that automatically disqualifies any type of immoral living, but it also rejects the claim to those who live that way of being real Christians if they are not following the example that Jesus Christ left. Marvin, do you have a comment on that? And that may be, but the danger here is when they really think, "Hey, I did my duty, I went there, but I also understand. And it's good to be surrounded by Christians who love you. But again, that is not salvation. There has to be a point of being born again. and and yes, more I agree, but but there again, we live in a world today. And the sad thing is, a lot of churches do not emphasize enough the importance of the born-again experience. And it has to be preached. It has to be taught. Because the bottom line is, a lot of Christians are going to church to be entertained. And a lot of them say will go there because it's pretty good entertainment. And it does make you feel better about yourself. But I want to be at a church when you leave. You think, you know what? There's something missing in my life. There's something wrong with my life. Jason? No. Sure, sure it is. Yeah, you know, you got that and that. You know, the the gospel has to be preached. I was listening to a clip today. It was made after Sunday. But some of the things that these megachurches are reporting is ridiculous. One megachurch in Georgia... You know what your call to worship song was? I am howling for you. I am howling for you. One of the megachurch, their Halloween service was based around, I think it was a Netflix production of Wednesday of Adam's family. Ridiculous. You know, what happened to the preaching of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? And folks, here's the thing. Salvation, and Paul was right, is the power of God. It's not how we package it. And, gee. I love my dad, but I get so aggravated at him. Because I learned a long time ago, I don't need to defend God. I learned a long time he didn't need my help. He stands alone. And the gospel stands alone. I had some years ago, and, and Ricky went with me to a couple of conferences we did, several of them, several years in a row. And uh, one particular year they were introducing uh, a sort of preaching used drama. And at first of all, that sounds good, but then I realize that. that's not what the Bible says. Preaching of the Word is what we need. Well, that's old-fashioned. I don't care. Preaching of the Word is what you win people with. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I heard John MacArthur today, a clip from him. He said, two things will kill a church. When you make it about man and pragmatism. Whenever you make an excuse, well, I know it's not quite right, but if I win one soul, I don't care. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Folks, we need to make sure we're preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, make no mistake about it. I wish our, I would. My desire would be these views before every Sunday morning. And And I don't know, but I know this. I am not going to deviate from scriptures in order to fill the church, because what you win them with is how you keep them, and I, I can't do that. I simply can't do that. There has to be that born again experience, and I, I and I don't see it preached today in America for the most part. And and these mega churches, my goodness, they're they're missing them. Not all of them. I, I must. Be honest about that. But the majority of them all. Because all they're about is marketing. Isn't that true? You know, I'm so far behind the times. Now, I know I am. But I didn't realize until this preacher made the comments today, those big churches have some kind of way where I could go there and sing and that automatically uh, adjusts my tone and tune so it sounds perfect. I didn't know they had such an animal. But it's all about Marketing. What's wrong with coming to God? And saying, Lord, here we are. A needy people. We've come to meet with you. Not come to put on an entertainment show. Not to come on to put a production. But, Lord, simply to share the good news of Jesus Christ. How he can change people's life. And churches across America are filled with people who are deluded. They're, They're, you know, because... They believe that I feel good about myself. (laughs) One preacher out of Texas says this is your best life. Often. And if this is your best life, that means you're going to hell. I'm telling you, okay? If this is your best life, you're headed for a devil's hell. Well, I don't know how I got off on all that. That was free. But the bottom line is, if you say you love Christ, you walk according to His precepts and principles. And it's interesting, <coughs> we are being bombarded, not just from the world, but also from other churches. You've got to be tolerant. Now, what verse is that? First of all, understand this. No kind of worldly, worldliness no type of self-indulgence, I hear me, can find protection under the wings of the gospel. Second Timothy chapter two, look at verse 19. Thank you, Dan. Let me give you a little background here. Paul, of course, writing to a young preacher. He's addressed a lot of false teachers, a lot of babbling going on in the church about this and about that. A lot of confusion. But Paul said, I want you to know something, Timothy. I don't care how much they babble. I don't care how many false teachers there are. The foundation of God is sure. Somebody should say amen to that foundation of God is sure. Now, remember, whether it's that day or our day, there are a lot of false teachers there. There's confusion and disagreement. But Paul says, Timothy, one thing you can count on, God knows who are his. He knows. God's never fooled by that. But the one I want to camp on is the last statement. Paul says, I don't care who you are. If you name the name of Christ, if you claim to be a child of God, if you claim to be a Christian, Paul says, live any way you want to. Is that what he said? Depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. So it doesn't matter who are the lords, all who are the lords, those who call upon his name have to be responsible. Now, do I believe in the sovereignty of God? The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God, no doubt about that. But along with the sovereignty of God comes our responsibility. And now that I am saved, I have a responsibility to turn away from iniquity. That is my responsibility. And I know that God has control over His church, but my friend, we as Christians have a responsibility to turn from evil and to maintain pure and holy lives. That is our responsibility. So our victory call should be let Him that named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So either follow the example of Christ or stop claiming to belong to Him. Amen. I don't care what we say about ourselves, what claim anyone makes, if they are not walking the highway of holiness... Their words don't matter, and they're worthless. Jesus is our example. So, imitating Christ reminds us that true Christianity, following Christ, is very exacting. Very, very exacting. Number five, imitating Christ implies that even the best of men and women have blemishes. Now let's think about this for a moment. Uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, learn of me. Why didn't he say learn of Peter? Oh, yeah, come on, Phyllis. You hear what he said, Peter had Wait a minute, okay. All right. What about John? John the beloved. He yeah, didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Now Certainly they were dedicated to Christ. Special place in heaven. They're going to have 12 thrones for for what they did. Great servants of God. But they had blemishes in their life. So it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how high on the ladder of holiness we think we've come. We have to admit that we come very much short of the standard of God's perfectness. Nobody reaches that. Here's what's interesting. I don't fall short in just a few areas. Guess what? I fall short in every area. And the best of God's people do the same. But one thing we know for sure, the character... The conduct of our Lord Jesus Christ, they were without spot, without blemish. And because of that, His character and His conduct are so much higher than our meager attempts to be holy that we are filled with shame whenever we measure ourselves by God's holy. Standard. This is a rhetorical question. Remember the, uh, the Pharisee and the publican? What did that Pharisee say about that publican? What did he say about himself? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. I mean, almost every day I get up and I say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like Rick Martin. I hate it. I love picking on you, Brother Rick. But, and I'm kidding, Rick knows that. But was the Pharisee serious? Sure he was. And so in his mind, if you're going to rate the two, who was better, the Pharisee or the publican? The Pharisee was. Why? I, you know, I, I do this and I do that and I don't do that. And that poor guy there, he didn't have a chance. And so... Those who are what one writer calls self-satisfied religionists, they take delight in comparing themselves with others. Now, let's face it. I don't care who we are. We can always find somebody we're a little better off in certain areas. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not going to uh, certainly compare myself with somebody I think is doing better than I am. No. But here's the thing. Deceived people think that all Christian holiness involves measuring up to some humanly invented standard of perfection. Some would say you have to have some peculiar experience. Some would take pride and say they have received the second blessing. Some would say, I've got the fullness of the baptism of the Spirit. But my friend, whenever we compare ourselves, when we measure ourselves by the complete perfectness of Christ, we walk away with our heads hanging down low because we cannot meet that standard if you don't know it by now my wife buys all my clothes I have never bought a suit um if I bought a pair of shoes since we've been married it's been one or two They would be the wrong size yeah um Last night, she goes in her bedroom, and she lays out my clothes for tonight. Saturday night, she'll go in her bedroom, she'll lay my clothes out for Sunday morning. And uh, Brother Dick Harvey told me the other day, he says, I, I really prefer to wear a white shirt, because with his eyesight, he said, at least I can see where you're at. And uh, I don't just have white shirts, okay? Uh, but I do know this, um, and Pam... Takes good care of my clothing for him, and I appreciate what she does. And I don't know how long I've had this white shirt. It looks pretty white to me. But suppose I would go to my high-dollar clothing store like Walmart, and, and buy uh, a parent would buy me a brand-new white shirt. This shirt is white. And to me, it looks white-white. But if I took this shirt that I've had for several months probably and laid it out next to that other white shirt, can you tell the difference? As different as night and day. And the same is true with our alliance. And if I took this white shirt and laid it, I don't know, in Pan's flower bed with that black mulch she has in her, it would really look like, wouldn't it? And the same is true with our lives. If I compare my life, my own life, with that preached by those who claim to have victorious lives, I can say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good here. I look pretty good. Anybody know what a plumb line is? Anybody at all? What is it? What's a plumb line? Somebody tell me. Yeah. Okay. And what's the purpose of it? Yeah, to make it straight. Now, in today's, we've got lasers that do that. They've got lasers that shoot all 25 directions, okay? and do it for you. But back in the day, they would have some type of a weight with a string on it. Uh, my dad had several as we grew up. He was a carpenter. And uh, it... It was kind of it, very heavy. It had a knob on one end with a string went through and it had a point on the other. But the problem always, I couldn't get that thing quit moving. It, it always wanted to move a little bit, but you got as close as you could. And like you said, it'd give you a, make it straight, a plumb line. And I know you all love me, but please be honest. Should my life be your plumb line? No. Who should be Jesus? Yes. What prophet was it? Was that Hosea? Yes, one of the minor prophets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, using a plumb line, but Jesus is our plumb line. <laughs> Peter himself, Peter himself realized that, didn't he? He understood that he wasn't worthy. What about Apostle Paul? Man, that guy, unbelievable, huh? Look at the life he lived. Look at the people he won to Christ because of his ministry. Look at the people that are being won today to Christ because of his ministry, years gone by. I mean, look how proficient he was. Uh how meticulous he was in obedience. But when Paul compared himself to Jesus, look what he said in Philippians 3.12. Isn't it good? Pope Paul was writing this toward the end of his life. And Paul says, look, I know I haven't attained it yet. After all I've been through, what I've done, and I realize that. But Paul realized that God had apprehended his life to bring him to perfection. And so Paul says, I want to apprehend that, what I've been apprehended for. I want to know Jesus. Not just knowing mentally, but I want my life to be just like his. So the imitation of Christ implies even the best of godly people still have blemishes. Number six Christ is our pattern implies his transcendent holiness. Remember In Isaiah, holy, holy, holy. The holiness of Christ is above all creatures. Above all creatures. Philippians three, ten, we back up a couple of verses. The greatest ambition for you and I as children of God is to be conformed to the image of Christ. He is our perfect example. Hebrews seven twenty six. Would you read it one more time, please, Dan? Holy, harmless, undefiled, severed from sinners, made higher than the heavens. What do you think about those qualifications? Ah, yeah. Christ had a perfect double perfection a perfection of being, and also a perfection of working. And his life on this earth gives us a perfect rule for us. Because there was not one blemish. There was not one plot, not one error. And he alone was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. So to the degree we conform to the example of Christ, is the perfect test and measure of everything God has done in our life. And the nearer we approach the pattern of Christ, the closer we come to being like Him. Number seven, when we imitate Christ, We do it under the penalty of forfeiting his claim to any saving interest in Christ. And that means that satisfaction and obedience are the evidence that we have been justified. We are satisfied and we are obedient. Those are the two main evidences that we have been justified. We also find acceptance with God. And my friend, you will never have biblical assurance without a sincere and strict obedience to Christ. Please understand that. It simply cannot happen. Isaiah 32, look at verse 17. Excuse me. The effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the assurance I have of my salvation. You see, the work of righteousness, not loose living, the work of righteousness shall be peace. Now, keep in mind. We don't have that righteousness on our own, but we always have it in the way of holiness. First Peter two twenty one. Thank you. So not only is the perfect life of Christ suitable for our example of holiness and obedience, not only is His life uh, part of that, it's also sufficient to imitate. But God says that's the very purpose He came, certainly to save souls, but also to give an example that we might follow. And certainly the law came first. But God said, "You know what? I'm going to give you some concrete terms. I'm going to give an example that you can't miss." I'm going to give you a personal representation for the purpose of humbling your proud hearts and by revealing just how how far we fall short of the standards of God. He is holy, 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 and we are not. So God sent His Son as an example for us, that we might honor Him, but also, now hear me well, that His followers could be distinguished from the rest of the world. What does that mean? Amen. Be different. But what's going on in America today? That's right. They're no longer different in them. And there's something wrong. And my friend, they're deluded. Self-delusion. So, the bottom line is this. Imitating Jesus Christ, is it optional? No. In fact, it is essential. It is essential. So how do we we to swallow that pill? I mean, for those of us who sincerely want to follow this divine appointment of imitating Christ, in, in what particular ways of regard to respect do we use Christ as our example? First of all, I'm going to make a statement here. Everything recorded about Christ in the Scriptures, they're there for our instruction. Everything. But not everything there that he did is for our imitation. Ooh, what does that mean? What does that mean? John five seventeen and also verse 21. Okay, let me, my point here is this, okay? Everything recorded by Christ is for our instruction. But not everything is for our imitation. And what I mean by that is there are certain things Christ did that we cannot do. Isn't that true? And which one of them? Raise the dead. Don't tell some of those TV preachers that. Come on. We can't. But especially spiritually. That's a work only God can do. Matthew 9, 6. Now here's a here's a nice one. Jesus is going to heal this fella. <clears throat> Jesus knew what his physical need was. But Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven you. And the Pharisees were they swallowed their tongue. Who's this guy I think he is? Because even the Pharisees, the only one person could forgive sins, and who's that? God. Well, yeah. he is. God. But then you say, wait a minute, your hold on, what about the apostles? Well, I'm going to give it to you straight. The apostles never performed miracles in their own name. Never. And they never did it by their own power. Do you understand that? And you'll see it over and over again. Whenever they did a miracle, they always give Jesus the glory. It wasn't me. It was him. We're just messengers. So they never perform those kind of things in their own name or by their power. But also as mediator. Jesus performed works of merit. And as a result, we have the expiation for sins of his people, bringing us everlasting righteousness and obtaining our justification and our reconciliation. Who else can do that for us? No one. We cannot imitate that. Now, as I was studying this yesterday, going back through it, or going through it, um, that word expiation caught my attention. So we're going to pick it up there next week, and we're going to look at what's involved in that theological term, expiation, okay? Lord willing. If Jesus comes, I'll let him explain it to you because he'll do a better job than I could ever do. Let's stop there for tonight. And let's...